0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And today we are looking back on the finals at the French Open. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Kim, finals weekend has come and gone. We've had the men's final. We've had the women's final. We've had some wheelchair tennis and we've had the doubles as well. Um So we're going to kind of be looking back on all of the, the action over the last kind of couple of days. There's really only one place to start. You're a Rafa fan. Rafa was in the final. uh, Surprise, surprise against Novak Djokovic. And yeah, I mean, the kind of the build up to it was, you know, was Rafa really you know, vulnerable, you know, this tournament to, you know, not winning. He's only lost twice at Roland Garros before. So as a Rafa fan, were you kind of nervous, kind of watching it on TV?
1: I was so stressed, Joel. And that, that might sound ridiculous <laughs> because Rafa won in straight sets, but I know all, all the Rafa fans out there listening and, and Novak fans who I'm sure get were equally as stressed for other reasons. You know, I could not relax watching that, even though I was incredibly pleased and surprised and jubilant and, I don't know, outraged, I guess, by how well Rafa was playing. I knew that, you know, you could never rule Novak Djokovic out. So until he Rafa hit, you know, that ace on championship point, fell to the floor and celebrated, <laughs> I was not able to relax. Um, uh, but but I mean, it, it went so different to how I expected it. Like, I mean, I did not expect Rafa to win in the manner that he did. I, I mean, I don't know if anyone could have predicted A performance quite like that—it was remarkable.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we spoke before about that. He has not given, I you know, in my in my head anyway, he's not shown a level of tennis up to the final that suggested to me that you know he was going to be able to do this against Novak Djokovic. But at the same time, come the final, he was able to he was able to go up a level, and that was so evident in that first set, which was. Absolutely spellbinding. I mean, Rafa had an incredibly fast start. He ended up bageling Novak Djokovic in a Grand Slam final. I think that's the first time he's been bageled, um in a Grand Slam final by um, you know Rafa or Roger. And I mean, it it was just kind of watching it on TV. We were just like is this is this really happening? And you know, it wasn't a it wasn't a bagel as in like a you know a twenty a twenty minute job you know, Bernard Bernard Tomich style. Um it was like a four, you know, it was a forty-six minutes, uh it was a forty-six minute set. So quite, you know, quite long for, for Bagel. So, you know, the games were very competitive, but but Nadal was just absolutely on it. And there was just kind of no let up really on the the Novak Djokovic serve.
1: I mean, maybe 50% of that 45 minutes might have been ball bouncing and, and faffing around with pants. But <laughs> yeah, they are the two slowest players, aren't they? Especially against each other. Rafa came perilously close to the shot clock quite a few times. But um yes, I mean... I don't think the scoreline really did it justice in the sense that Novak probably didn't deserve to be bageled. You know, he wasn't playing that badly. It was close. I think Rafa just upped it on those critical points. Uh, and, you know, any opportunities he had in that first set, he took them, which is what you've got to do against someone of Djokovic's caliber. So after two sets, you know, Novak only had two games to show for all his efforts. And, you know, Djokovic is so mentally strong. You know, we saw that. In the Wimbledon final last year, you know, we've seen it countless times when he's managed to kind of work his way back if, if he has been down and you, you can never rule him out. And I mean, even he was probably quite demoralized thinking like what I've come out and, and tried to do is just not working today. I didn't expect this from Rafa. What am I going to do now? Um, you know, he was trying his his, you know, beloved drop shots, um, but Rafa wasn't they weren't really working against Rafa. Rafa was reading them, he was much closer, you know, to the net when Novak was playing them. You know, he wasn't ten feet behind the baseline at the time. So it wasn't proving to be as successful for Novak as as I'm sure he had planned. And, you know, he had to change it up a bit. And he did start to do that in the third set and it, it did pay some dividends. It was a much closer set, but it just at the end of the day, it was a it was too little too late, it wasn't enough. And I mean I I did feel in that third set you know if Novak had a bit of a run grabbed it um you know we went into a fourth it, it could easily have quickly gone to a fifth and I I really I knew that Rafa really needed to win that in three because I I personally as a Rafa fan did not want to have it going and going on any longer I just I wouldn't have been able to handle the stress um to be honest but yeah I mean oh, it's just so impressive really what Rafa was able to produce today and and hats off to him and I don't know if part of it was um you know because people including us were saying you know this is novak's better best chance you know those conditions like the the roof was shut because uh, it was raining at the start of the match and i thought oh you know that's only going to favor novak surely and you know the balls being different i feel like i know raffer had said himself that you know yes these conditions are not ideal but he proved everyone wrong massively like regardless of the conditions the time of the year you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, but hey, you know, things might be different, but Rafa's still winning the tournament and I think it was a big statement statement performance today.
0: Yeah, because I think that was the fourth time he's won uh Roland Garros without dropping a set and um it's funny because uh on the women's side as well, Shoetec won the tournament without dropping a set either. Um but yeah, Rafa's Rafa's level was it was just it was just too good and you know he had a he had a few um you know wobbles against you know sinner um in the quarterfinals and then uh in his semi final as well um but yeah djokovic really i mean his unforced error count just kind of it, it it was it there were basically there were too many errors and his first serve wasn't it wasn't working well and yeah the that drop shot sort of strategy that was very evident from game 1 i think he literally put in four drop shots um, in the opening game. Yeah, it just was not it was just not working for him. And the more he was kind of trying to do it and trying to force it, you could just see as on, you know, as a fan kind of watching on TV, you could just see kind of he's gonna have to think differently here because it's it's not working. Rafa was you know Rafa was too um, he was too quick to get to them and yeah it, it just it just did it just did not work. And uh, you know Nadal I mean, now he's on twenty grand slams, same as uh, same as Roger Federer. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, this performance is this like phenomenal? How like is this one of the best performances? Do you think, in terms of given the kind of situation we're in, the and all the kind of conditions and all the stuff that you know that you feel has gone against him? Do you think that makes this performance specifically even even more special than the you know the other? 19 Grand Slams that, that he's won?
1: I think so. I think, you know, things are different this year, obviously. And considering the fact that he was going, you know, to, to make history, you know, to, to equal Roger Federer and also, you know, to add another title to the, the the Roland Garros tally, he to produce such quality when you're kind of thinking about all of that and all these stats and numbers are going around in your head and the guy on the other side of the net is, you know, your hardest opponent on the on the tour, the one guy who has beaten you you know more more frequently than not of late. And uh the last time obviously they played in the slam final was the Australian Open 2019. And and that was almost a similar match to today, but but Novak winning, you know, it was on his court, you know, Australian Open. And that was a very dominant performance from Novak. And I felt like this was had shades of that, but in reverse and I don't know if it was a bit of revenge, like Rafa was thinking about that match, but I felt like it was a, you know, you can do that at AO on Rod Laver Arena, but I'm going to do it here, you know, at home and Philip Shatry, and, and the other match that it had definite shades of, I thought, was the 2008 Roland Garros final, because in that one, you know, Rafa completely destroyed Roger Federer, only lost four games. And that was, again, something that just sprung to my mind because it was a, just such a dominant Performance. I mean, I love seeing Rafa kind of come through and win those epic matches, you know, five sets, you know, like the US Open last year against Medvedev. Like, you know, seeing him have to dig deep and fight is is also very enjoyable, perhaps a bit more stressful, but but to also see him just completely dominate, it's also equally as pleasurable for me as a Rafa fan. Um, I mean, more pleasurable, probably, because it's a bit less stressful, even though I was still very stressed today, but um, it, it, you know, you can win slams in different ways, I suppose. But I, I just, I'm blown away really by by his performance today. Uh, just watching the highlights back a, a minute ago, I was kind of like, wow. Like, I mean, it's, what, what a contrast as well, Joel, between, you know, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but between Zverev and team in the US Open final, you know, the quality of that wasn't really, wasn't really there. Um, and I, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, wouldn't get this from a Novak Rafa final or whatever, Novak Federer. But, and I think, you know, you could clearly see the difference in in quality, even from, you know, the first few points today. And it was a long may it continue. Uh, that's what I say.
0: I mean, Djokovic, I wouldn't say I think Djokovic, again, I think if he played, you know, the way he played in the final against any other opponent, he probably he probably hmm. would have won. Um, yeah, sure. And I think, you know, I think there is a question there uh, in terms of, you know, how like, I know we, I know we are, I feel like we ask this every time, but how long are these guys going to be able to keep it up? Because, you know, this, this level of tennis, you know, produced, um, you know, was higher than, you know, the U S open final between Zverev and team. And, you know, how, you know, and they're like, you know, they're in their mid thirties now. I mean, how, how long is this going to go on for? And, you know, is is are we going to get to a point where Rafa is literally going to, you know, win the French Open and then I don't know, retired? Or like, is he going to have a drum sort of dramatic loss? I feel like we're getting to a point now where mm. you know he's going to want to go out on top, and you know, when your record is, you know, you've just won your hundredth uh, singles match at Roland Garros, it almost kind of feels like there's only there's only one way to go from there.
1: Yeah, be it. Every year it feels like it's impossible for him to to keep going and for it to get better. But he's just produced his best performance and it's the 13th time he's played this final. And I think this was his best performance in a final yet. I mean, yes, I think he had to, he performed so well because his opponent was such, you know, of such quality. If it had been, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of a final, like when he played David Ferrer in the final, I think, you know, Rafa, didn't wouldn't have needed to have, have played so well. Um, you know they bring the best out of each other, don't they? But I don't. I don't really like to say. I mean, I. I hope there's many more years to come. I mean, it, it, I remember watching. Uh, you know, the early years when Rafa was winning. I don't know his third, fourth, fifth. Roland Garrison pundits were saying, you know, the way Rafa plays, like it's great. But how long can he really go? Like they were expecting that he would retire maybe before he was thirty, and because of what they were saying and I was thinking oh yeah I'm not sure how many Rafa could really get you know they say yeah he could go on and win 10 but you know they're saying oh but his body's going to give up and for him to be age 34 and winning his 13th Roland Garros I, I mean he's proved a lot of people wrong and he he's I know he's got like the best team around him you know obviously these top guys they have access to like the best medical care and the best kind of sports physios etc so they can look after themselves you know they are privileged in that respect but yeah it's they, they, i mean both rafa and nova are they are probably the, they are still the two fittest guys on the tour and there's guys age 21 who would not match them for fitness like what does that say
0: about about things i mean kim just to put it into context uh Shvontek, who's the women the women's champion she was four years old when Rafa lifted <laughs> his first French Open title, and you know he's still doing it, fifteen, you know, fifteen years on or whatever, um, it's just, it's just truly, it's truly remarkable the long, you know, the longevity of, um, you know, dominance that you know Rafa has had. It's not just been like a a decade of dominance; it's been, it's been fifteen years. It's it's crazy, and it just again, it just cements that thing that we all, of course, already know that he is you know, the greatest, you know, he is the greatest clay, you know, the, he is the greatest clay quarter, um, you know, in the open era. Um, let's just kind of put it in the context of the big three. Um, we kind of said that, you know, Rafa and Roger are now tied on 20 slams apiece. Now Federer has already come out with um kind of a statement acknowledging um you know Rafa's victory today. I think kind of just reading it, the most interesting kind of uh quote from it was the the end bit when he kind of says, I hope 20 is just another step on the continuing journey for both of us. Well done, Rafa. You deserve it. So he's obviously seeing it as kind of like, you know, if you know, it's a friend, it's a it's a friendly rivalry and more, you know, is this number more um just just a number than than anything else but um it, it, yeah I mean how <laughs> like who's gonna end up who's gonna end up it doesn't even matter is Djokovic gonna catch them I mean there's still so much to go with this kind of you know with this big free race and you no know, you know way any way you look at it it's just so it's just so funny I think that you know we're now at a point where all those years on <laughs> Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, they're they're both on 20 grand slams apiece and they're still playing tennis. And as much as I think, you know, Federer talks about it kind of being a continuing journey for both of us, when it comes to the Australian Open, I'm sure he's going to be thinking, you know, I need to do better than Rafa here. So I've, you know, I can stay at the top of the tree.
1: Well, we've had, you know, the Big Three dominate men's tennis now for a whole e a whole era, you know, decade plus. Um, but I almost feel like we're entering a new era for the big three where they're now at the the twilight ends of their careers. I mean, I think Novak's probably got quite a bit more left than that perhaps the other two, especially Federer, but almost like a new era where, you know, Federer's gonna reemerge in twenty twenty one and perhaps this is what he needed to give him that extra you know, final boost um, and motivation because he's now playing to to get ahead again. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't see him winning the Australian Open because I think that's very much Novak's uh, court and it'll be very, very tough to uh, dethrone him there. But I mean, Rafa could get on to 21 if he wins Roland Garros next year. I mean, Federer could win Wimbledon and and do it. I mean, we could very well this time next year be they could both be on 21. Who knows? I mean, it'd be nice if maybe they kept going, like they've both got 20 and it's 2020. Maybe they'll both get 21. And so the end of next year, you know, (laughs) they'll just keep going up with the years and they'll be on 30 by the end of this decade. Um, But yes, I mean, I still expect that Novak would eventually overtake both of them just in terms of longevity wise I, I and kind of the the consistency you know l- let's not forget this is the first actual match that uh, Novak's lost this this year barring the default which doesn't really count it's not a proper loss is it so you know his year has been absolutely remarkable and you know it takes an a, a, a performance of of basically be you know basically a perfect performance to to beat novak so you know absolutely i think he's still the dominant force really um i mean i'd love to see Rafa win more slams on other surfaces again you know uh but well it's is getting interesting i mean it's been interesting for a long time but it's it's giving it new life isn't it i guess into the big three race
0: and there's also, and, and just a kind of context, you know, with the the women as well. Um, you know, there is a twenty Grand slab in the Open Era club. So Nadal has now joined it with Roger Federer, uh, along with Serena Williams and Steffi Graf. So mm-hmm. you know, it really is. I think, I think certainly that sort of club is is very exclusive and is definitely going to be one that is going to, you know, Djokovic. You know, uh, you know, at the moment, it certainly feels like he should be. A part of at some point in his career, um, but yeah, the fact that Nadal and Federer are now equal—who knows? Might it might even breathe more life into you know the, into the race? The fact that they are now equal again, um, because uh, you know, at the end of the day, only. I, you know, who, like, who knows, like, who knows how, who, who knows how high they could get? I mean, could you, how, how many do you think they can go up to? Do you think 25 is that? That's, you know, that feels a bit too much of a stretch. That feels but... a bit
1: too much. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, 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 I oh, yeah. I, I like even numbers. I have to say. Um, so, I mean, I want Raf to win more. So if he, if he finished on an odd number, that's fine. But, um, I'm, I, I especially want Raf to win another Roland Garros because 13, it's a bit of an unlucky number isn't it I mean not for him at the moment but it's not like the nicest number do you know what I mean <laughs> um but I I really I don't know Joel I, it's a, it's a exciting and hey there's only what two and a bit months to the AO I can't wait I've already in that like post slam like what do we do now um kind of mood I, I don't really know what to do with myself and after Rafa one today I've just been sort of I don't know, sort of floating around the house. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I've got so much like adrenaline from it.
0: I mean, we talk about him as the king of clay. I almost feel like that now is a bit of a disservice. He should be like the, I don't know. I think I've, I've been reading around, he should be like the emperor of clay or even like the god of clay. Because I mean, yeah, it's, it is, you know, it's just a phenomenal achievement in terms of kind of what he, he's done. He's, he made, you know, he today, he made Novak Djokovic look very, very ordinary. Um, you know it wasn't till that third set where really I think Novak Djokovic broke Rafael Nadal and you know the fact that throughout the tournament he was kind of breaking players for fun and you know through two and a half sets of tennis against you know Rafael Nadal wasn't able to do it especially with the roof closed because you yeah you did feel like that was going to favor that was going to favor Djokovic but it didn't you know it didn't really and it's just like as many things you could put against nadal as possible it just didn't matter because the result was always going to end up the same and it'll be interesting to see i guess you know you know when all is said and done who's going to be the person that dethrones you know rafa nadal at you know the french open is it going to be novak djokovic is it going to be dominic team is it going to be someone from the next gen
1: yeah, I still feel that Djokovic is is the more likely person to to still be the one to, if you like, dethrone because you know he is the next best player on clay. Uh, I suppose I think even I would give him the edge over Team still uh, on on clay against Rafa, but you know it might come that next year. You know they meet in the final again, and, and Rafa doesn't manage to produce a performance like today, so Novak's time may still come in he has won this title before we know he is an amazing amazing clay court player and you know i don't think he should be too ashamed about today or anything because it it it, you know he he didn't play a bad a bad match maybe tactically he could have changed a few things up differently sooner on but i mean really he's um he's played a, a fantastic tournament as well so you know we had a it's been a great two weeks, really, Joel, isn't it? And uh, obviously, we'll be talking about the women's final in in just a second. Uh, you know, that's been also fantastic for for slightly different reasons. And uh yeah, I'm just gonna I'm already missing it. I know we've got we've got ATP Cologne and Saint Petersburg this week.
0: I know will that fill
1: that will fill some of the the gap. I think that will be left.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's funny because yeah in, in on paper you know both you know for Nadal and Sviontek the um You know, the results don't, you know, don't really kind of stand out because as I said, they didn't really drop a set and, you know, they weren't really kind of put into any sort of adversity. But yeah, they just came through it. But yeah, it's certainly been an entertaining couple of weeks. Um, We're going to be back. We're going to take a quick ad break, but then we will be back to discuss the women's final between Shriantek and Kennan. So, Kim, let's move on to the ladies' final. Iga Sviontek versus Sofia Kenin. Sviontek coming through 6-4, 6-1 in the final. First player from Poland to win a Grand Slam singles title. Youngest French Open women's champion since Monica Sellers in 1992. I mean, this match, straight sets, Sviontek, she really just kind of <laughs> carried on where she left off in, uh, in her last six matches. It was, um yeah, another straight sets victory. I don't think she was ever behind in the match. Um what you know, what was your take on it? I mean it was uh again, it she she didn't choke. I think that was the that was the big kind of question going into I think going into the final.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The 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 only doubt I really had, I suppose, was that if it went to three sets, if she choked, if she was showing any signs of nerves, then Kennan is the one player that you really don't want to be kind of going into a battle against because she competes so well, you know, especially um as we saw in the Australian Open final earlier in the year. Um but yeah Sviontek never let it get to that situation. She was, you know, every time kind of Kennin had a little opportunity or she, you know, she broke back um after Shvontek went to that three love lead. You know, Shvontek then just kind of upped it again and never let Kennin kind of get into the match. So I think Kennin was just getting you know, more and more frustrated, thinking, "What can I now do to actually stay with this player?" Because Svante was just continuing where she's been. You know, all throughout this tournament, you know, she's just been. I, I, I couldn't quite believe that even in a grand final, she was so calm and could just could keep that level up. I think that was what is the most impressive thing is, is the standard and the consistency, and I, I suppose the mental strength to be able to cope with your first big event final you know big final so well i mean this is her first tour level win you know this is her first tournament victory a bit like ostapenko 3 years ago for your first title on on the main tour, you've won a slam. I mean, that's that's unreal.
0: <laughs> I know, and and she said in her you know a conference afterwards, she said, uh, "I'm not very good at speeches." Uh, the last tour I won was two years ago, um, so really, yeah, it was kind of a, a very new. Which was a junior experience. event
1: that was that was junior <laughs> yeah. Wimbledon, so completely different sort of scenario, really, and and mm. I think that really showed you know showed her age at the end. You know, she is only nineteen; she's not been in this situation before, so. Of course she wouldn't really know what to say. You know, I think that was quite refreshing. You know, she's she's not sort of someone who's sort of had loads of media training or anything. You know, she was just being very authentic and herself in the way she dealt with everything. And that I think that really came across very nicely as well and has endeared her to a lot of fans too, as well as her performance on the court. I mean,
0: she kept her, I think, you know, going into the match, she was keen to kind of keep ex- expectations low, not, um, you know, feel like there was, you know, pressure on her, even though, you know, she was installed as the bookie's favourite after that, you know, Simona had, you know, Simona Hallett like, dismantling. I think what's so impressive is the fact that she was able to back up beating the top seed and go on to win the tournament. I mean, uh, you know, we've we've had sort of these sorts of upsets before in kind of, you know, recent Grand Slams, but very rarely I feel like we talk about that person, you know, as the eventual champion. So I think it was really impressive the fact that, you know, she was able to kind of, you know, kind of obliterate the, you know, the, you know, the the odds on the hot favorite in Simona Hallett and just really kind of just started and and she just kind of continued from there. And, um, you know, she just, I think she just kind of, yeah, just almost like froze out the idea that she was playing in a, a Grand Slam final and put that to one side and, yeah, just treated it like any other match. And that really kind of helped her, I think, you know, just kind of focusing on, you know, focusing on the match itself and not letting like the occasion get to her. I mean, in terms of kind of the stats, it was really much a very kind of similar story to her, you know, semi-final and really kind of her tournament in general. I mean, 25 winners, only 13 unforced errors. Kennen, I mean, Kennen's not really, I don't think, as known, you know, for being, for generating as many winners, but I think that was kind of a big you know, statistic in terms of, you know, when you do get to these finals, I don't think you can just play a a safe game. You have to be, you have to be aggressive and you have to kind of go for it. And, you know, if it doesn't come off, then okay. But, you know, you have to, I think you have to show that level of aggression in the first place in order to win a Grand Slam final. I don't think you can, you know, arguably do what kind of Kenan did and kind of just hope your, your opponent misses. I think, you know, when you get to a final, You've got to, you've just got to go for it, and that's what and that's what Shviontech did.
1: Exactly, you can't just hope that the other person's going to cock up on the day, can you? You've got to go and win it yourself. And I mean, Schviontek's like you know, forehand, backhand. Like I know she's got she's got a bit of work to do. I think she could certainly improve her serve. Like by all means, she's got she she could be so much better as well, which is a, a mad thing to say when she's playing so so well. But obviously, she's so young and she will continue improving her game. Um, but she's already got you know, I think a pretty complete game and she hits so powerfully and so, you know, precisely. And it's quite scary, I think, for the rest of the tour, perhaps, if she can keep this up. I mean, I'm loath to sort of get too ahead of ourselves because, you know, it is impossible, I think, often to maintain such a high level. It is not very often that you get players winning slams without dropping, I don't know, less than 30 games, for example. So I think very much, yes, this is exceptional level and it wouldn't be, I think... Um, realistic for her to keep this level up all the time but even if she was sort of near to this level or you know pulled it out of the bag when she most needed it I think that would be more than enough for her to go on to win you know multiple slams and I guess that's the question is like how many slams do you think she could win I mean bearing like assuming that she remains fit and, and healthy and, and there's no kind of injury issues um, you know god forbid she kind of has a a year a bit like Andreescu where she's sort of out and can't play for example but I mean there you know for for such a young player to, to perform so well that's that's just so impressive and if we consider in the wider context of of the other young kind of slam champions that we've had recently you know obviously ASA she's now got three slams and um, obviously Andreescu broke through last year you know and the likes of Kennan as well Ash Barty you know we've got a whole hand handful of these players now that are kind of coming out there have won their first slam and you know it's quite exciting to see what they can do in women's tennis over the next few years, I mean, I personally can't wait to see Andreescu back. I think peak Andreescu against peak Shvionte would be quite exciting
0: to see. I think though there is, a, I think there is a little bit of, of caution there because I feel like you know at the moment we're making the noises for Shvionte that we were making, you know, when Andreescu won yeah. the U.S. Open, mm. and you know we've seen over the last you know eighteen months or so, like she does, she does have health problems, and it, you know. I'll, you know, it feels like she is possibly in that <laughs> going down that sort of Del Potro, yeah, maybe even one yeah. slam wonder route of, uh, you know, in the future. Obviously, she's, you know, she's still very young and there's still lots of, you know, she's still got lots of t- uh, time on her hands. But, um, you know, I think we just, yeah, there's a, I think there's almost kind of the, we've got to err on, on the caution in terms of, you know, this is a player who is 19, who has, you know, won their first slam. Breakout, you know, breakout Sam at the French Open completely dominated. Um, but we've seen and we've, we've been here in the past and, and it's not always kind of, you know, plat gone, you know, gone the way we were kind of expecting over you know, the following, you know, 18 months. And, you know, I think, you know, you, when you look at Shivion game, it's really, it's really interesting. And I think really refreshing actually, because. As you said, she really does have this sort of all court game. Whether it's you know at the back, you know at the back of the court with her ground strokes, or you know she's got excellent uh, uh, net play. Um, yes, she might be able to work on a serve, but really, kind of, she's like a, an all court player. I think almost kind of similar to you know to Radvanska, um, You know, uh, you know earlier on in the you know earlier well earlier on in the uh, in the decade, but um, I just think it's interesting because. You know, we've had yeah, you know, I think we've had an era on the WTA circuit where I think there was a kind of this appetite for, you know, power and hitting your player off the court in terms of aggression. You know, people like Serena Williams. I mean, as, as-, as- I think is in that category as well, Azarenka Kvitova. Um And I don't, and I think almost kind of at at that point, you know, having an all court game wasn't necessarily the, you know, the in, in flavor, (laughs) sorry, in vogue sort of way to play on, on the tour. But I think kind of what Sfiontek has shown that is actually, if you have this all court game, um, you, you can win a grand slam with it. And, you know, that might not necessarily have been the case when, you know, Radvanska was, you know, on the circuit because, you know, she, although was a very consistent and a very good player. Um, she didn't. She didn't win a, a grand slam title, but I think what Svitolina has shown is that actually, you know, you can you can negate, you can nullify the aggression and the power that you know uh, potentially other players have with this with this sort of play. I think Simona Halep is sort of in this category as well, but I think Svitolina certainly is that sort of. She just plays in a way that I think it. She just nullifies any sort of like obvious threat, and really, I think in the final, Kenin just. Ultimately, she just didn't have any. She just didn't have any answers in terms of you know she was putting the ball back in the play, in play. Yes, she was putting it in good spots, but really, if if Fiontech was getting to it, she was more or less going to win the point.
1: Yeah, I mean Shiontek, you know, she does have a an all court game but she's also got, you know, the power as well so it's kind of mixing the two together the best of both and yeah, Kenin just didn't have any answers and it, I mean let's just look that second set Kenin went a break up um immediately and then Shriontek broke straight back and at 2-1 um down you know Kenin decided to take this medical timeout to to go off court, she got more strapping on, on that thigh or hamstring. Um, You know, she'd had previously a bit of strapping, but she came back on with a lot more. And I mean, do you see this as more of a tactical move that she decided to kind of pull that? I I feel like a lot of people were saying it was a bit um, just, I think she just needed a bit of a mental timeout (laughs) rather than anything like really, she didn't seem to be hampered too much by any kind of movement issues as a result of a, of an injury that she was struggling with. But I mean, ultimately, it did not help because Svantec just carried on where she had left off and, and won, you know, I think 16 of the, of the next 19 points from after that that medical timeout. So if Kennan had been hoping that that was going to... Change her fortune. It really didn't work, did it, Joe?
0: No, and I think also I think what was most impressive um, about that sort of uh, period of play was, you know, Sfiontek, You know, to her credit, just kind of was you know putting out some serves, um, and she was she was like playing with her fans. Um, you know, she was clapping along with them, and you know she wasn't kind of going to try and let that sort of um, situation. I think get the better of her. She managed. She she you know managed it really well. And I think in a conference uh, press conference afterwards, she was kind of talking about. You know, she just was like, look, I'm in the French Open Final. I'm, you know, I'm here to have fun. I'm here to play my game. And um, you know, she wanted to have that little, you know, fan engagement whilst you know she had the opportunity to when you know Kenan was you know taking a medical timeout. Um, you know, I've seen on Twitter, you know, a lot of you know, a few people kind of suggesting that it was a you know a tactical almost kind of fake medical timeout in in the almost from the playbook of uh yastrzemska um and uh, you know i i do think you know i'm not saying necessarily this was a, a fake medical timeout but i do think that this does show for me that the wta potentially need to look at or potentially clamp down on these sorts of Potentially these sorts of tactical, uh, medical timeouts and, you know, whether they need to address that in a sort of way, because it does feel like some, it's something that is a bit more prevalent on the, on the WTA side than the ATP side. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's fair for, you know, this situation to potentially work out, um, you know, as an advantage to the, you know, to the injured player, for example. And, um, you know, it feels like, you know, it, it feels like, you know, the WTA, I think, you know potentially might look at this they might look at you know examples by yes for example um where they might look at and think hang on we might need to address this sort of rise of potentially fake medical timeouts because i do think it's it's become a bit more part of the it's become a bit, a bit more part of the the game would you say on the, on the women's side
1: yeah, I guess there are some repeat offenders. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people take you know bathroom breaks at the end of a set, and I you know that's I guess like you can't really stop people doing that, can you? But um, I mean, it is difficult though as well for the opponent if if they think or know that they're you know the uh, the other you know the player on the other side of the net is is struggling with something. You know, we saw we talked about a bit that a bit a bit about that with the Djokovic PCB match, how actually it's quite challenging sometimes to play against someone who's visibly suffering of something. Um, but obviously, again, she didn't let anything like that get to her, which, again, just oh, no. adds to the kind of um, imperious domination that she had. And I mean, I think a lot of that is to do with, you know, the sports psychologist that she's been working with who, you know, obviously, I think it's all paid dividends. And I think so many more players need to probably look in, look into that and think, well, hang on. Like, I need to think about focusing on that aspect a hell of a lot more. You know, obviously, mental health is becoming much more of a, an Ofe thing, like people are talking about it more, it's become more acceptable to talk about it and the struggles that you might have. And I think it just needs to become normalised now that players have this in their arsenal, that they have someone that they can call upon, especially, you know, at the top level. And especially if you're a player that knows that, you know, you really struggle perhaps uh, closing up matches or in like key moments. And I think that's got to be a number one priority from now on.
0: Yeah, it's it's certainly interesting. It certainly helped it certainly helped her because um yeah, yeah when that medical timeout was over, I think um I think Shiontek then went and won fifteen of the next sixteen points or something. She literally kind of, you know, she literally just kind of carried on where carried on where she left off. And yeah, it was such a you know, it was such a dom it was such a dominant performance. I mean, just going back to that point on the fact that she didn't she didn't drop a set um you know, to win her first Grand Sam title. So I'll just give you the, the other names who have, who have done that in the open era on the, on the women's side. So we've got, uh, Yvonne Goulagon, Chris Evert, Mary Pierce, Martina Hingis, Lindsay Davenport, and then potentially the, the surprising name on there, Marion Bartley, um, all won their first Grand slam without dropping a set. And sviontek's added her name to that list. Um, you know, we, we spoke on in the semi finals, uh, you know, podcast about this, this run almost being Rafa esque and, you know, the fact that Rafa is one of her idols. Um, I don't know, I don't know if she's got a pet name named after him like, um, Seb Corder does, but I was um... just
1: about to say, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, um... she
1: did say though, Joel, that she hoped her cat. She said that she hoped her cat had been uh, watching from home in Poland. And I was just thinking, yeah. is your cat called Rafa by any chance? You know, <laughs> got to compete with the seven yeah. orders of the
0: world. <laughs> but I mean, it's I mean, look just looking at her game, do you think do you think do you think her game will adapt well to other surfaces? Or are we kind of looking at her game being like, hey, this 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 style of play works really well on a clay court and you know, could Schviontek, for example, be the queen of clay to rafa's king of clay because i think they've now both won i think rafa won his first grand slam at the french open at 19 shiontek's done the same um you know in such a again in in a such a, a dominant fashion um well, yeah i mean just kind of talking about yeah her game and and that sort of adaptability to other courts do you think this is like you know this game works really well on clay court and you know uh, Will she have to kind of find ways to adapt it for, you know, hard court, grass court, indoor court, etc. Or do you think like it's already kind of ready made to kind of, you know, ensure that she's competitive across the across the whole season?
1: Oh, I certainly think she is... Is I think she can certainly be competitive on the other surfaces. I don't see any reason why why not. I think the conditions here over the past fortnight have helped her get that more height on the ball. I think this is kind of ideal for her game. So it might be a bit more difficult, um, you know, going on to hard and, and grass. But, you know, she did win junior Wimbledon two years ago, uh, which was her last title uh, that she won. So, I mean, I certainly think she would be able to be a danger across all all surfaces um interestingly enough joel just on the comparison to rafa um i think a lot of people yesterday i saw on twitter had been googling what schwiontek actually meant in polish and it comes up on google translate as christmas and i don't know if you know this but nadal means christmas in catalan so a lot of people are like oh my god both her names mean christmas in their respective languages (laughs) Um, but then i think some polish um like native speakers were saying well actually schwiontek's a bit more akin to like holiday rather than exactly Mm. Christmas but I just (laughs) thought that was a funny parallel I thought oh is it in the stars that she's gonna dominate here like Rafa has done potentially um but yes I mean I certainly think that she can transfer the game onto onto other services and yeah. I mean, it's exciting. I, I mean, she's, she's really good friends with Naomi Osaka, um, which I didn't actually realize, but Osaka was very, um, complimentary and, you know, cheering for her and, um, got outspoken about how pleased she is for her that she's, she's won the slam. So I think now we've got a whole batch of, of young slam champs going, going forwards, like makes next season, um, assuming it can be kind of a normal-ish season. Uh, it makes next season very interesting with regards to, you know, are these players going to win more slams? Will there be even more newer slam winners coming along? Because we know there are a whole load of other youngsters on the WTA circuit that are kind of putting their name out there. Um, or will we see Serena kind of finally manage to, to, you know, get that slam record? I mean, it's it's building up nicely, isn't it? For maybe a sort of generational kind of um, com- competitive kind of battle and, and then also within this younger generation who is going to kind of come out and emerge or try to become kind of the leader of the pack if you like i mean i think asaka at the moment is is the one very much doing that but uh she 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 needs to adapt really doesn't she to to kind of clay and grass a bit more so well 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 it's exciting
0: i was just gonna ask you on that because yeah we do have you know a a good collection now of kind of young up and coming slam champions. We've obviously just had Shuantech at the French Open, Kenin at the Australian Open, um Andrescu, US Open, and Osaka as well. I mean who of those four, I mean, they're all in the, you know, they're all in the conscience of all the, you know, all the fans now, I guess. And um you know, who do you think is gonna have the most the prosperous kind of career out of the four? Because you know, just kind of looking at where they're all at, at the moment, I, I still think, I think what Kenin has showed this season is, I think she, I think at the moment has the most ready made game for like different surfaces. Um, in terms of, you know, she's been able to do it on a hard court, won the Australian Open, and she's shown that she's been able to do it on a, on a clay court by reaching the, the French Open final. Um, Andrescu for me, you know, is this obviously, Probably potentially the biggest talent, but the biggest, obviously, the biggest kind of health concerns there. Um, And Shvionte is still, I think, a bit kind of unknown in the sense of uh, you know what she can do on a you know on on the you know the turfs at Wimbledon. Um, So yeah, I mean, who 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 would you kind of pick to kind of go and and shine brighter? Who who do you think is in kind of the best position to to kind of go on to go on from here for next for next season?
1: Yeah, I think Kenin's been more consistent as as was Andreescu last season before she kind of got hampered, you know, with with the injury kind of pulling her out for for a long stretch. You know, throughout that every every tournament Andreescu basically entered last year she was winning or like getting to the final or whatever. Um whereas Iga Fronte obviously it's just been at the moment a, a one one hit wonder, which I mean I don't think she'll this will just be a one hit wonder. I don't think this will just be a flash in the pan, but at the moment she hasn't done anything outside of this so I think the next 18 months will be really interesting to see if she builds on this if she has the kind of maybe somewhat inevitable struggle post slam of having to cope with the pressure and the expectation you know she's going to be in the top 20 now I think she's going to come in at number 17 you know all eyes will be on her um I I, you know there's only like two more WTA tournaments for the rest of this year I don't know if she would be playing those but you know come the Australian Open next year assuming that's going ahead as normal well not as normal, but, you know, assume it goes ahead. Um, I I think that will be the real telling point, you know, kind of as we go into Well and I, I mean, actually, the you know, Roland Garros coming around next next year, it's it's only kind of what, eight, eight months away, seven months seven, eight months. It's you know, it's not a whole year, is it? It's gonna be the slam after the next one. So potentially she could win two Roland Garroses in the space of like eight months. I uh, you know, I, I don't know, but um I know what you mean, yeah, but about is Kenan maybe more consistent? Is she the one that's actually gonna have more longevity, perhaps? Uh it's all swing I think swings and roundabouts, it really can just depend on a, a couple of factors, can't it? <laughs> and anyway, Joel, it's useless us trying to predict because we're awful
0: at, at <laughs> yeah, I know. so
1: why are we having this discussion?
0: But also it's it's always useless to predict who's gonna win the you know, the women's event at Grand Sam's because we've had generally, we've had so many players come out of nowhere to win um, you know, win a Grand Slam. Um, you know, I was reading the fact that you know, Ostapenko, Osaka in 2018, Andrescu in 2019, Kenan and Sviatek in 2020. They all won a Grand Slam despite never reaching a Slam quarterfinal before their title run took place. So, you know, I think that it's a, it's an interesting one in terms of the you know looking at the women's draw. Genuinely, yes, we kind of look at, you know, attract ourselves to the the seedings. But um, at the same time, you know, players can literally come out of nowhere and win the thing. And again, that sort of, that, un, that unknownness um, when we kind of look up, um, that unknownness when we come to grandstands is, I think, what makes them so compelling um, from, the, from the women's side.
1: I, I agree. And I think going into the Australian Open next year, I'm going to pick... I don't know. I'm just going to pl- pick my, a random name out of the draw and be like, yeah, that person's going to win it because, I don't know. Bondues I mean, it that. could be anyone, really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just trying to think of a name now and my mind's gone completely young, uh, blank. Young,
0: up and coming, <laughs> unseeded player. Uh, yeah, that's a wild bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although the
1: thing is, Joel, again, like, can you go on seedings? Can you go on form? You know, Kenin got double bageled in Rome by Azarenka and Sviantek lost to a rancher Rus in like the first round. So we would have not, we would, like, no one would have really thought yeah. that she was going to suddenly. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, sure. it's it's really open, and I guess that's what it is. You know, very exciting about it as well.
0: Yeah, I think you literally you could just put a blindfold on and then just point your finger anywhere on the draw, and maybe that person could win it. I feel like it's it is almost kind of that open, you know, open ended at the moment.
1: So, Joel, just to wrap up uh, on the French Open 2020, we had obviously the doubles uh, finals happening this weekend as well. Uh, your favourites, you'll be pleased to know, Kevin Kravitz and Andreas Mees, they have defended their title. Uh, they are now the well two-time uh, reigning French Open champions. They beat Pavic and Suarez 6-3, 7-5. Um, interestingly, they are the first doubles pairing to win um you know, back to back to defend their title since murnie and Nestor in 2011 and 2012, which is actually quite a long time ago. So they've managed to achieve achieve that feat. And actually, I don't think they've actually won any other tournament but Roland Garros. I think before their run to the title last year, that was their first title. And I think I don't think they've actually won anything else, which is kind of funny.
0: They're just like they're just like French Open specialists. Uh, exactly. Yeah. They're going to yeah, be yeah, like no, effort, well, actually, Kevin. You? <laughs> and Kevin Kravitz as well. I mean, I, I've, we've all kind of, I think we've, I know, listeners may not be aware, but over the last 18 months, I mean, he's had a, he's probably an interesting time because at the start of, um, at the start of kind of the, the COVID pandemic in, in April, April or May, um, he was working at his local supermarket, um, you know, helping out because they, they needed staff. So, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe next time you go into a supermarket, you'll be served, uh, you know, at the till by, French Open Champ, double French Open Champion.
1: Well, that <laughs> I've just got visions of like Rafa and the uh, Tesco Express on Wimbledon Village now, <laughs> like behind a checkout. Love it. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I think that's a great story, and it shows that he's you know a very humble you know person, and I think he was helping out. Yeah, I think his friend owned the supermarket or something. So yeah, really nice blokes by the sounds of it. Um, and then the women's doubles, Tamea Babosh and Kiki Milosevic, they won today six four seven five over Alexa Guarachi and Desiree. Krogic. Um I watched a bit of that match and the last set, they were just it was endless breaks of serve. Every time Garachi and Krajic just, you know, managed to break back, they would kind of immediately get broken. I think the experience and the calibre of, of Babush and Ledenovich just came through um at the end there to, to grab that one. So the French, you know, have a have a winner as well. Um Lidenovich has obviously won that title before. Um it's also a shame that they didn't manage to do the mixed doubles though, Joel, because they've had, you know, juniors, they've had all the other events. It seems like they might they could have easily done the mixed event too, but Obviously, that was not to be, um, which is a bit of a shame. Um, Talking about French champions, though, we also had uh, a junior girls champion from France, Elsa Jacomo. So she has become the first uh, young, young, like first junior champion since Mladenovic, actually, um, to win the girls title. So she beat uh, Alina Chereva in 3 sets is a russian opponent. Uh so perhaps well in 2 years time she could be winning a slam Joel. So let's look out for for her name. <laughs> um and Parsley then Sh- maybe
0: 2022 collector set <laughs> will have that name yeah, on. Yeah, well, we yep. on
1: episode 140, <laughs> remember that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we can we can put it into a future episode when she finally yep. wins her her maiden slam. <laughs> um and who knows, we've got some a new a new Federer, perhaps, because <laughs> uh, the boys' final was between two Swiss players. Uh, we had Dominic Steven Stricker um and Leandro Riedi. So um Stricker won that one 6'2, 6'4. But quite interesting that they're both from Switzerland. I think they've actually either one of them or both of them had um done some practice with with Federer at the start of the year. So, you know, perhaps he's gonna be a bit of a mentor for them, perhaps. Um, And Stricker also won the boys' doubles with his Italian partner, Flavio Caboli. So he's become the first junior to win both the singles and doubles at Roland Garros since 1986, which is the year that Rafa Nadal was born. Um, But yeah, so there's some interesting results going on there. And then just to round up, British success um, and British defeat. but success first, Alfie Hewitt won the men's singles in the wheelchair uh, men's event beating Joachim Gerard in three sets. So that's his fourth Grand Slam title in total and his second title at Roland Garros. Um, and obviously he won the doubles. We already mentioned this on our last pod. Uh, he won the doubles with Gordon Reed, um in a match tiebreak the other day. So he's he's got two, two titles from this event. Um, sadly, though, Andy Lapthorne was beaten uh, in the quad singles final uh, by Dylan Alcott in straight sets. So it wasn't to be for him. And Jordan Wiley also lost the women's wheelchair doubles with her partner, Yuichi Komiji uh, against De and Van That was, that was close. That was oh. 10-8 in the match tiebreak. So they only just missed out, but uh, yeah, the amazing rhyming names managed to, uh, to win yet another title here
0: <laughs> yeah And just just actually a word on the wheelchair because i was kind of catching up on it as well and um yeah kind of great success for alfie hewitt because um i don't know uh, you know many, many of our listeners might be aware he was basically told i think round of a year ago that you know, 2020 would be his last season because he's not um not disabled enough um he got a 12 month i think extension or reprieve last month so that's why he's kind of you know he's still about so he's obviously trying to make you know make the most of you know, I don't know make the most of the time that he potentially has um you know left in kind of wheelchair tennis uh, we'll we'll see how that kind of situation still kind of develops um but interestingly on on Andy Lapthorn he kind of was you know we were talking about mental health earlier and um you know he came out after his defeat to Dylan orcott to say um You know, he wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't right this tournament essentially, and, um, he needs to go. He's going to be taking a break from tennis for a while, um, to focus on mental health issues. He says he hopes to be back for the Australian Open in, in 2021, but, um, he said no guarantees, but, um, you know, very, um, Very admirable for him to come out and be really honest and open and transparent about that. Um, You know, in in, particularly in defeat as well. But um, it just shows you, I think that yeah, mental health is obviously a big part. It's a big part of the world. It's a big part of the tennis game. And um, uh, you know, I commend all these players kind of coming out and and saying, look, I need to, you know, I need to get right and you know, get off the court and and, and get right. So um, yeah, I hope kind of Andy can kind of um, you know kind of sort that out and then get back onto the court because he's been yeah he's been an absolute fantastic competitor over the over his career
1: yeah absolutely I think it's it's so great that it's being normalized much more you know in in all aspects of society but also in sport because I think sometimes we look up to to these individuals or you know, champions as, as being like superhuman and but there's so much inspiration that we can gain from them you know their, their work ethic and their determination and and the fact that they do go through struggles and ups and downs like the best of us. And I guess sometimes theirs is more magnified because they're in the public eye so much. And I think it, it's really, you know, good that he's kind of been so open and honest and, you know, along with, you know, other players, I think it's just good that it's becoming much more kind of accepted and, and welcomed that people can be upfront with what's going on. And, um, you know, I think tennis fans generally are very... um sympathetic and appreciative bunch and and i think he's got a lot of you know positive kind of support from everyone you know since he kind of came out and said that so yeah i'm wishing him all the best and um that brings us uh on to to our last thing for the for the day joel which is collector set and the the results so Joel at the start of the fortnight we had six names didn't we in the pot uh, of players who we were asking listeners to predict uh, how far they were going to get what round they were going to reach you know we had Jennifer Brady Marquette von Drusever Garbinia Muguruza, Stefano sitsaba Dominic team and Rafa Nadal and you know it's fair to say some some of us were pretty horrendous at predicting uh, others were much better um I know some of it's a bit potluck at times but anyway we have a, a winner Michael who is at lob winners on Twitter he was very good he got four out of six right so that's absolutely superb well done. So big well done to Michael uh, we will be sending you a short uh, a small prize shortly uh, in the post so i uh, hope you enjoy that and yeah thanks for everyone you know for taking part in that and we'll be doing obviously another another rendition for the ao um i, I got two right this this time round, joel so i'm hoping i can build on that and uh, and, and get 50 percent next time round. but that's that's gonna be a bit, <laughs> bit of a long shot i feel
0: <laughs> i need to build on the what one- i mean i got zero i think in the u.s open i've got one correct here so maybe, yeah, maybe I could get too correct at the <laughs> the Australian Open. But yeah, it's uh it's another another collector set to forget for me, I think. But uh yeah, a lot Aww. of our a lot of our list is doing a, a lot better. But yeah, it was such a You know, with Brady and Von Drusova going out in round one, it really just kind of threw it, threw it wide open, really. But, um, yeah, well done to, uh, well done to lob winners for getting four correct. A very good achievement in, uh, in these times with, uh, you know, with the French open and all the, all the upsets that, that we've had. Um, you know, just kind of following on from that, really, you know, just from the, the podcast itself, uh, we just want to say we really appreciate, um, all the feedback that we've been giving. Thank you for, listening to us as well, um, and our round by round coverage for Roland Garros, um, as well as the, the US Open and, and just kind of generally people who have supported the podcast. Uh, by listening to us on social media as well. We really appreciate your feedback. We really appreciate you kind of taking the time out to, to listen to us. Um, you know, we love, we love making the show. We love, you know, we love making these podcasts. Yes, we do have, we do have full time jobs, but, um, yeah, we, we always love finding the time to kind of talk about tennis from the, the fans perspective and make sure <laughs> you make sure that, uh, gets out there. So, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for kind of staying sticking with us and kind of staying tuned. I know we've probably put out like an episode every, I think on average, Kim, we put out an episode every three days for the last six weeks. But, um, yeah, it's been good fun. Um, and yeah, there's, there's definitely more to come, isn't there, Kim?
1: Well, we'll, we'll be back next week. Uh, I think next Sunday, because we do have some ATP events going on and, you know, tennis doesn't stop for too long and andy murray is in action actually he's got fernando Vidasco, i think in the first round of cologne so that's very exciting um but yes i'm sure a lot of our listeners are we pleased to hear the the back of us maybe for for a bit i don't know <laughs> hopefully not um but yeah we've got lots of stuff coming up you know from now until the end of the season mm. i'm already looking forward to an end of season quiz um you know i'm i'm a massive quiz nerd so That, that's all I'm looking forward to from now until the Australian Open, I suppose. But yeah, we'll, um, we'll call it a day, I think, for, for tonight. I, I'm going to go and, and shout. I don't know how I'm going to sleep tonight. I'm still on like such a high, I think, from the day's (laughs) festivities.
0: I'm going to sleep very well just because, <laughs> yeah, we've just had so much podcasting to do over the last six weeks. I we can, we can finally have an extended break. Uh, yeah, for, for a week or so. But yeah, we will be, um, you know, we'll be talking in a bit more detail about kind of the, the schedule, I guess, coming up, uh, post Roland Garros through to the end of the season. Um, you know, later on um but yeah for now uh thanks again just to kind of reiterate thanks so much for for listening to us um make sure uh, as always to keep up to date on all the things in the tennis world to subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice whether that's apple podcasts spotify stitcher overcast wherever you listen to us make sure you hit that subscribe button and if you have been enjoying our coverage of the french open and uh, you want to help out the show, make sure to leave us a rating and comment if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts.
1: And you can follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, mostly Twitter though, for all our news and such like, um, at Passing Shot Pod, you can find us on there. Um, we also uh, have an email account if you'd like to get in touch that way, PassingShotPod at gmail.com. Um, if you know anyone who's got into tennis, perhaps over the last fortnight, then um, let them know about us, um, you know, like us on, on all the social media platforms so you can keep up to date and and let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you, any comments, any feedback. Um so and send all that our way.
0: Right, we're gonna we're gonna call it a day, Kim. And yes, we will be back for a regular tour catch up. Uh, probably next Sunday. I think there's three tournaments in action, as you said. Cologne is on. I think Saint Petersburg as well. Um, and I think there's another tour. There's another tournament that f- I forget the name off the top of off my head. But, um, Santa
1: Santa something's S- Sardinia. Sardinia. No, Sardinia. There, there we go. go. Sardinia. So yeah,
0: there's still lots of tennis <laughs> to catch up on. So yeah, we'll see you. We will see you. Uh next sunday probably sunday evening uh rounding up all all the latest in the tennis world but yeah thank you for, for for listening to our round by round coverage of the french open and we'll see you again soon